All right, let's get started here as people are filing in. I am joined today on Thursday. Thursday? I'm joined by my longtime friend, frequent antagonist in both public and private space, uh, <laughs> Matt Moore, uh, HP Basketball of uh, the Action Network. Uh, we're going to start off talking a little bit of, uh, of, of, Euro, of Euro hoops, Eurobasket. Um, if you hadn't, haven't listened to the show I did with Adam Mares of DNVR earlier this week, I... Uh, I encourage you to do so when we're done here. Uh, he had a lot of really interesting things to say about, you know, spending some time in Serbia around a World Cup qualifier and um, sort of the, the uh, European basketball culture that he kind of viewed through the lens as a uh, Nuggets, uh, the purveyor of a Nuggets site, and and obviously through Nikola Jokic. But Nikola Jokic has, has lost. He's not going to win. He's not going to win EuroBasket. Neither is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Neither is Luka Doncic. And that makes my guest, Matt, more very happy. Why is that? <laughs> I wouldn't say very happy. I think amused is the right word for it. Um, look, I, I think whatever makes people happy, right? Like, whatever, like, people will get joy out of in life, regardless of what it is, as long as it doesn't hurt other people. I think it's fine. I do. The, the problem is that I am, like, one of the, the foremost people in terms of being in the conversation because I'm online too much. And, like, I can admit that. Right. So that's a me problem. But given that I am like there are consequences to that. And so I'll oftentimes what my most strongest opinions about are actually not the players or the teams or the outcomes. It's in large part more about the conversation about these types of things. And so every year about this, when when not every year, when Eurobasket rolls around or FIBA qualifiers or the World Cup or Olympics, you have this kind of, it's very trendy to like get very excited for these types of things. It's a very basketball hipsterish thing. And on top of that, what you have is like, you have all these fan bases like the Nuggets, uh, like the Mavericks, less really so the Bucks, the connection between Giannis and Greece is complicated. I think we can agree. Um, but so what happens is like Mavs fans being like, we are Slovenia and like Nuggets fans being like team Serbia and all these types of things. I'm like, you wouldn't like, you didn't care about this like, before this player, and you probably won't care about it after. Like, it, it becomes this very isolated thing, and so especially when it's hyped as, as, you know, all the best players are in the tournament. And don't get me wrong, like, I've loved watching it. It's been a lot of fun. The basketball quality is very high. It's just a little amusing when they all get bounced in the first round. Like, when they all get, well, in Lucas' case, the second. Like, when they all get bounced before the medal round. It's just a little amusing to me. So basically, you're saying you you hate all NBA MVPs and prospective MVPs. Yes. Yeah, clearly. Yes. It. Yes. And I, let's be clear: this isn't an international thing. It would be the exact same thing if, it, like, I wouldn't say that I would root for Team USA to lose um, because of we're our position, the U.S.'s position globally is a little bit different, right? In terms of the dominance and all, the, and it's there's other things wrapped in that. But if, regardless of, of what the team was, I would still be pretty amused at the outcome. It's mostly just that um, I'm a terrible, cruel human being, I think <laughs> is really the, the outcome there. I think so. So, um, the, it, I, I'm, I'm loath to sort of look at things from an NBA-centric perspective, but at the same time, I sort of look at things from an NBA-centric perspective, uh, perspective. So... Um, which is sort of uh, its intention with my with my other stated ethic of hey let's just enjoy this stuff as it happens. But 
it's hard not to look at, at this and say, so what does all this mean for, you know, the coming season? Does this mean, you know, Luca coming in in shape, you know, uh, from, from Eurobasket? Uh, is, are, are Jokic or, and Giannis going to be worn out? Uh, is this the year people finally recognize Rudy Gobert is really good? Like, or is that just, is it just a different thing and we should put it aside? I think the conditioning stuff matters. <clears throat> the injury stuff I have a hard time with because all of it's so anecdotal. Like you would know better than I do if there's actually been studies done based off of the frequency and intensity and duration of play in the off season and its proximity to the start of the regular season in relation to an, to the increase of, or if there's any correlation to injury, right? Because like anecdotally, it's very easy to be like, look, <clears throat> finals went late last year. Um, mid and Drew go basically directly from the, cell, the, the the parade right to the Olympics, play in the Olympics, and they're hurt in November. And they're banged up off and on that whole year. And then <laughs> eight months later, mid suffers an MCL sprain. And be like, ah! And I'm like, I don't know. Like... This just could have happened. Like these things, I don't know if there's if there's correlation. The Luca thing, I think, is most significant to me. Um, Jokic is so durable. Knock on wood. Like he is so outlier durable in terms of very rarely missing games, very rarely having you know X soreness that keeps him out a week. He you know, misses games tweet. for for uh, for elbowing people. Yeah. Um, if he's not, if he's not, if he's not missing games unless he intends to, you know, so, um, and, and so like the, the injury I think is less there. Giannis, yeah, there's a lot of miles on him and the back stuff I think is concerning, but ultimately you're just kind of like, well, Giannis is a freaking nature and he's still young and he should be fine. Luca coming into shape, into camp in shape. The fact that he does not have an opportunity to get out of shape to me is like really significant just because Mavericks fans have, have talked enough about it. To be like, yeah, no, this is a thing. Like, he just doesn't come into, into camp in great shape. He just doesn't, he plays himself into shape. And I think that's honestly okay if you're Paul Pierce and you're 32. I think that that's fine when it's Luka Doncic and the entire team is on your shoulders. And more than anything, it's like you have an opportunity to put yourself into that conversation with Kevin Durant and Nikola Jokic and Steph Curry and Giannis as any given night you were the best player in the world and a lot of people already think that he is that but you need to kind of have like that that season him being in shape already is good now he's banged up right he had the ankle but what I learned, my understanding is that it's an ankle maybe maybe a little bit of a wrist thing but these are all these are both things that I'm not like he didn't tweak a knee he doesn't have he's not having back issues like Giannis like these are things where it's like okay he takes 2 weeks off maybe 3 with training camp and he's fine and so to me, like, as a guy that really does look at the season as I think he's going to do insane statistical things. I think the combination of his uh, efficiency, passing, the way the team is, is built around him, and what I predict his usage is going to be, I think he's just going to have an absurd production season. And to back that up, he, he needs to be in shape. And so... Uh, that to me is the biggest takeaway from this is, is, is that kind of thing <clears throat> beyond that? Like, Hey, I think Markinen, I think is, is another, is a guy that I would look at and go, Hey, like Lori's doing like, he's really turned into a very good player. 
Um, as somebody that started, he had a really good rookie season and then got lost in the Boylan years. And honestly, like him and Billy Donovan didn't really jive. Like he looks amazing, and that's very promising, both for him and his career. And also, I think if you're if <laughs> the Jazz are definitely open for business, so if if you're looking for a player like that, I think he's he's in that kind of category. Uh, Rudy, I don't think can do anything to help himself in terms of standing. Like he's, they can win gold, and it's like, oh, great, that guy won, and that's not fair. But that's just, I think that's kind of how it is, and that's that's where I'm at on the long term NBA stuff with Eurobasket. I think I enjoy your 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 passive voice on the Rudy hate. That's uh, um... oh no, buddy. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I, well, I've come full circle again. It's about that conversation, right? Yeah. Where it was like with the predominant conversation, with nobody would talk about him. Except for the most analytical wonks, your, your, yourself included, and the conversation was about him being like one of the most impactful offensive players in the league. It's like, okay, let's 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 just uh, let's just calm down like a little bit. But now that everyone's trashing him and being like, can't you know he he gets played off in the playoffs? I'm like, well, actually, he's really improved in that area after I criticized him and all these types of things. And you can't win with that guy. Well, no, that's it's a little bit more complicated than that. Very high on the Wolves. Very high on the Wolves. Think that they're going to be a top five defense because Rudy basically guarantees that. Um, I'm very high on this iteration of, of a team built with Rudy Gobert, less so built around Rudy Gobert uh, and Donovan Mitchell in <laughs> kind of polar opposite directions like the Jazz were. Sure. So let's 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 actually stick with Luca since we're talking about building around players and in shape and stuff like that. Um, I'm wondering, does it actually matter? And here's why. Um, I think one thing you, you said when you, you were breaking that down was the degree to which the team is built around him and he needs to do everything. I, I kind of don't think it matters whether he's in shape or not as long as that's true. And in some ways, it's, it's almost, you know, for a long season, almost better for him to play his way into shape instead of him having to exist at that level of usage on that kind of knife edge of fitness for if Dallas does what they want to do this year, it's eight, nine months. You know, like that doesn't seem, that seems like a big ask. So I think for me, it's more just about, there's been a lot of studies that show the relationship between fatigue and injury. And that's a pretty, I think, logical correlation. And so if he's just, less fatigued if he's just in better condition the 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 probability of him missing a game or having a a worse outcome game because it's like yeah his ankle was definitely bothering him yeah he's definitely not you know he was pretty banged up that game just taking away those little degrees and then also i think if you look at the start of last season in particular when the efficiency was was pretty poor and by Honestly, if you look at it, so was the impact. Like, that was the shocking thing, is it wasn't just Lucas missing shots. It's Lucas missing shots, and the Mavs are getting killed when he, or not killed, the Mavs are getting beat by a significant degree when he's on the court, right? And that's not one to one, I don't think. But it's also like, well, okay, if, if we know how good he is, and we know efficiency will, will kind of always help with these kind of things. Just having better conditioning to have more spring in his legs to get to the step back, to get to the line, to be stronger, to be faster, all these types of things. It just increases that efficiency because the bar for him is so high. You know, he was MVP favorite at the book at the books 
last season at basically close to the same number that he's at now. Um, and so the bar is very high for him. And for me, it's about, okay, yeah, the usage is always going to be there for him to produce, but those really special seasons do kind of cross-pollinate with, you know, historically uh, legendary usage seasons with good efficiency for the usage. Versus I would say last year, especially early on, they actually weren't using him enough. And it was kind of like he had pretty rough efficiency for not as good a usage. And so I think that that combination of high usage, you know, above average efficiency for that usage could lead to him having an absolutely just bonkers statistical season. I think that's all fair. I just, I, I, you know, from the MVP standpoint, and I'm, I'm not someone who, who wagers on such things, but it just strikes me as, you know, I think we've talked offline about that and probably, probably, probably online, either on Twitter or on, on your, your podcast that I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a little down on the Mavericks this year relative to consensus. And I think that's, you know, that's like, regardless of, of like how he comes into camp, I think that's the, that's a bigger obstacle for him. You know, him winning MVP is they were already too reliant on him and they lost their second best shot creator and did nothing really to replace it. I am lower on the Mavericks postseason aspirations um, because of the Brunson thing. I am relatively high on the Mavericks. We just did our Southwest win total over my betting podcast buckets. We talked a lot about, you know, the Mavericks and because we're both my partner and I, Brandon Anderson and I are both down on, on the Grizzlies for a number of reasons. And so I was like, okay, so if they're not going to win the division, there's value here. And it basically comes down to Mavericks or Pelicans. And the Pelicans are a lot more attractive at four to one. Um, I still think there's value on Dallas based off of, I can't, I can't, and, and maybe like, I would love to get your thoughts on it. Like what is the identifying factor? And it doesn't, ha- you know, it doesn't have to be statistical, but what is the identifying factor that leads us to believe there's going to be meaningful regression from them from a winning standpoint if we look at it and go, this is as good of a team built around Luka for him being the hardened model of do-it-all, a la 2017. Um, and we kind of trust in the offense because of, of, of Luka. And the defense, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense, they're not blitzing the way that they did in, in Milwaukee under Kidd. It's aggressive at the edge, but it's not blitzing. It's not turnover dependent. I can't find a real reason to be like, you know, they're going to go, they're going to be significantly worse. I think they could win fewer games. And I still think that probably could put Luke in the conversation for MVP because I do think some of those standards continue to change. That's interesting. I mean, I, I do feel like that that the Jokic standards, and we've I think everyone's talked about this. I think that the Murray being out and Luca doing what he has has given him the sort of more narrative heft than a team than would be normal for a player on a team that you know is is not a home court team. And I don't, I, I I would not pick the Mavericks as a, as a home court first round team this year. Just you know, I'm I'm actually surprised that you you are are higher on on the Mavs than you are on the Grizzlies. 
Um, yeah, so I think... Is that, is that group, relative to expectation, or just like you think that they are going to win more games this regular season? Both. Okay. Um, the Jaron injury is, is a big factor here in terms of, you know, the... The, everything that I've heard out of Memphis has been like he looks great, like the progress is being like he's he's looking on track, like it could be closer to the start of the season. The long end of it, it's closer to January, and I just have a, have a long history of it being like, oh yeah, he looked great, oh but he's just not quite there, just the conditioning, you know, he just doesn't really feel like he can go yet, like he's not trusting it, just needs a few more. It, it's like they, the different the, the gap between and this is some of this is from the Murray thing too, watching that this year. The, the gap between being cleared and the player being ready to go is so wide. <laughs> and uh, so I, I kind of lean a little bit that way. Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton, <clears throat> that, those to me are significant losses that I don't look at the roster and go, well, they'll get X, Y, and Z from the, like, I don't know that Tyus is going to be 1.5 times, you know, he's not going to be 0.5, 50% better than he was last season. I mean, um, he's fifty percent better than his last season. He's like a league average starting point guard, right? Right. Like he was, you know, it's it's sort of the the damning with faint praise, but the best backup point guard in the league is yeah. actually he's actually a a borderline starting level point guard. But I, I right. take your point. Yeah, um, I'm not super high on Zaire Williams. Like he's a guy that could bust my expectation for the for the Grizzlies to go under if it's just like, yeah, no, he got in the gym and added a bunch, and now he's like a, a legit weapon. Um, Look, I, I've I've been a fan of the Grizzlies long enough to be to love Dylan Brooks for what he is, <laughs> while also acknowledge like, look, Dylan's going to play. There's too a much lot. Dylan Brooks. There's too much well, Dylan yeah, Brooks. Just, and, yeah, too much Dylan Brooks. Like, I, I and the the bigger problem is that more Dylan to me inherently means less Desmond. You're not just losing the efficiency of Dylan. You're also losing the touches that Desmond would get, at least to some degree. Like, even if it's like, well, without Jaron. You know, Desmond gets a chunk of those. Okay, but like, until there is, until I see that there is a clearly established no, like no, it's Jop, and then it's Desmond, and like that's the one-two combo with Dylan back. I'm gonna be a little nervous. Uh, Jaws an injury risk always. Uh, I just kind of, I just retweeted an article that from Memphis that was just talking about how Jaws working on developing a consistent jumper. That was my biggest criticism of him last year is something doesn't necessarily have a jumper. He just doesn't use it. He always tries to get to the floater and teams definitely figured out not just in the playoffs, but in the regular season, that if you switch versus jaw, he's going to still score and wreak havoc, but it's not like world ending destruction. It's more just like, okay, really good player. Um, and so the scouting book being on him, I think is a little bit concerning. They got younger, all those types of things. And then on top of it, we talked about, you know, the expectation, like their number is still 51 and a half. And that's just to me is that's, it's, it's like, well, they won 56 last year. The pattern actually says that if you do have a year like that and your number is over 50, you are much more likely to go under the following season. Now, does that get them to lower than the Mavericks? Yeah, that, I was going to say that's that's the sort of those are those seem like different questions. Just there's you know there's sort of room yeah. in between. Yeah, and so it's like I'm not betting the Mavericks over for this reason because it, it right. could wind up being Grizzlies 48, Mavericks 47, and that wouldn't be 
that would not be shocking at all. But I do think that it could be very close between those teams. Dallas has owned the head-to-head matchup, which can wind up mattering for tiebreaker. There's all these kind of scenarios. There's enough for me there to think that if you're getting, you know, again, relative to the market, a plus value on the Mavericks and minus value on the Grizzlies, there's a pretty clear edge there. So I'm, you know, I don't think I have to, we have to do chapter and verse on why I'm kind of down on the Mavericks. I mean, it's you have a lot of faith in Spencer Dinwiddie making jump shots at a rate that is incommensurate with the rest of his career uh, from his time in Dallas. You have um, a lot of faith in, in, you know, a player who I've, I've championed at times, but has never really been in high leverage kind of games in Christian Wood. Um, you have some weirdness about JaVale McGee being anointed the starting center. You have, I still, I mean, I frankly still have questions about their defense, given that, like, they have two guys who I would consider to be plus defenders. And one of them, Dorian Finney-Smith, is really good. But him and him and Bullock, and then you're, you're kind of a little weak in the interior and at the point of attack. Uh, maybe in matchups where, like, Finney-Smith can, can, guard a, can guard a one or a ball handling two. You can you maybe can do better, but we've seen that that's not like we've seen what happens if you try to have Bullock guard like a like a quick point guard didn't go super well for the Knicks uh, uh, two years ago. So those are that, those are kind of my reasons for skepticism. And then I want to I want to like bounce to a different team in that division. You mentioned the Pelicans, and that that sort of is tangential to what I think is one of my sort of lingering fascinations of this offseason is. How much of, 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 and this is sort of about the Pelicans and sort of not, because a lot of people are kind of high on the Pelicans. And I understand why they pushed the Suns in the playoffs. My question is, with what, how the Suns' playoff run ended, does that, how much luster does that lose? That's interesting. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, like, I think, and I've, I've, that's sort of, I mean, that, I think that ties into my sort of maverick skepticism because I, I, especially given that with the ease with which Golden State kind of dispatched Dallas, um, I, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that wonders if those two series just were just so much more about Phoenix being in a weird place than they were, you know, the credit to Dallas and New Orleans for taking advantage of a wobbly opponent. But it's not the it's not the best regular season team in the league they did that against. Right. Yeah. Um. So I think a couple things. One, I view that Pelican series a little bit differently in that there seemed to be a real, like, wow, the Suns could lose this. And I don't know. I I, I never – I thought it was possible. It wasn't like, ah, oh, I'm not worried about it. They're definitely going to win. It, it just wasn't enough to where I feel like they were I, – I, I wasn't really like, oh, wow, the Suns could absolutely lose this. I was like, well – I think they'll probably get past them and be okay. We've seen teams that are really good struggle in the first round at times. That Spurs team that everyone raved about in the mid 2010s went seven with Dallas and a very shaky Dallas team. Like this, you know, the matchups and everything else are just kind of those. I'm not surprised in those first round series. And then the Mavs series, like to me, the COVID is just such a it fills in the blank so clearly for so many questions about that series. <laughs> like the COVID stuff, just go, everything you go, you, when you go back and you watch that series and you're just like, what the hell happened to Phoenix? Like what happened here? And if you were to be like, well, they all had COVID. You're like, Oh, okay. Uh, that, tra- that tracks. 
Um, COVID plus bad vibes. And yeah. like the bad vibes maybe are both on and off the court. I think that like I don't yeah. think we've we've ever gotten a real good explanation of like what what was going on with, with you know, Aiden and, yeah. and, and and the coaching staff and Chris Well, Paul. And that's and, that's a reason to, to be skeptical on Phoenix this year yeah. is basically like that this stuff didn't get fixed because Indiana forced them into having to run it back. I don't think Phoenix wanted to run it back. I think they had to. And so that's a question. When so weird we go to New Orleans, when we go to New Orleans, for me it's, again, there's just such a wide gap between projecting for the regular season and projecting for the playoffs. Where, like, do I... <laughs> My, my skepticism about my optimism about the Pelicans and Mavericks is high for the regular season and very low for the postseason, and maybe a little bit the opposite for Memphis. Um, where do we know what the Pelicans are? No, it seems like they're going to have no, a lot of stuff. To, we have a lot of stuff for them to to work out just from a a, a how the roles shuffle. Yeah, like and we know, can, and the overarching question of can. Zion and Ingram play together effectively, which yeah. to this point in their career, when they've both been available, has basically never been the case. That's my biggest question. Of, of all of it, it really is whether or not Ingram is going to be able to be like, I like winning so much, and winning will sort everything out, that I'm okay not being the guy. Because there's no way for Zion to... Like, Zion's not going to be the beat. There's no scenario where Zion's the... Nor, nor should he be. No. He's, yeah. he's one of the most impactful offensive players we've ever seen in the league when he's healthy. And so, you know, you mentioned, like, trying to shuffle all of this around. We know what the Pelicans are without Zion. That I feel like we have, like, a really good sense of, which to me is it's a 500 team that's a lot of fun to watch. Zion is not, like, adding a small component. It's not upgrading from Devontae Graham to C.J. McCollum. It's a complete reorganization of your central identity and all of your, like, corollary identities. Yes. Like, where does Herb Jones fit in, for example? Right. Like, that's, like, he's a guy who I think, you know, you don't want to go, go too crazy about a rookie, but he's a guy you say, okay, he's got to start. Okay, now, but then you got to start Zion, you got to start Ingram, you got to start Herb Jones and, and McCollum, and then that's a, and, like, and I'm at, like, and Jonas, and that's a weird lineup. Yeah, it's that's a like, very weird lineup. Like, I don't, a lot I don't know if that's a functional 2022 NBA lineup, to be honest. Yeah, I think it'll, yeah. I think it'll talent its way to effectiveness, but it's not like it's not optimized in any way. Like if you subbed, if you sub McCollum, and th- these guys are rare. If you sub McCollum for a point guard that was that just is going to be like, we're just going to run pick and roll like 30 times with Zion, and we're going to just beat him to death with it. Then Jordan McLaughlin. Yeah. Yeah. Who, oh, by the way, I, I don't mean to chuckle. I, I like Jordan McLaughlin. Me too. I, I would, I would feel Park, better. I would right? feel better about the Timberwolves if McLaughlin was going to be their, their starting point guard right. this year right now. Right. Um, like, let's, let's put a pin in that for a second. Charlie has been waiting patiently with the question uh, for a couple minutes. So uh, fire away, Charlie. Hey, fellas. Um, I know you've uh, moved on to some Southwest conversations. So I, Hey, no, double, double back to some, some Euro basket, uh, does it matter? But I'm just curious. I'm watching this and I'm wondering, like, how big a spoonful of salt NBA decision makers take, um, with the production of 
dudes who've never played in the league. Um, you know, Luca came out after he was eliminated and said the star for Poland, uh, Ponitka, he doesn't know why he's not in the NBA. And, you know, I've been burned so many times by guys I love watching in FIBA tournaments that come to the NBA and they, like, you know, struggle to bring the ball up, up the court. Um, so I'm just Still wondering. Out for Juan Carlos Navarro. Yeah, well, he he was actually uh, yeah, he's pretty good. It just was like I could be the star and make this much money tax free in Barcelona, or I could average twelve a game for a pretty good Grizzlies team. Mm, yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah, and, and Compazzo like more recently, but and I'm just wondering, like, you know, is, is there something kind of Seth, your proverbial pat on the head of these guys, where you're like, <laughs> well, you're 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 a very good Euroleague player, but you have no chance, or how, how does that kind of work? What do you guys think about that? I have like I have pretty strong feelings on this, and they're not they're not positive or negative. It's just that I talked about this a little bit on Locked On Nuggets with Mares. We had, we were talking about EuroBasket and the differences between how it plays in the NBA. I think if you put a scale of like pure the the, the ideal purity of the sport of basketball, like how people would conceptualize it um, at all levels. And you put all of the different leagues on a scale. If, like, zero is the purest form, I think the scale goes something like Euro, you know, a, a gap, and then Eurobasket, and then a small gap in WNBA, and then, like, a medium gap in the, and college, and then, like, another medium gap in the G League, and then, like, way in the distance, way in the distance, so far out across to Neverland is the NBA. In that it is such, at this point, such a specific, idiosyncratic, um, very hyper-specialized sport. I have, I, th- I have thoughts here, so please finish up and then I'll, but go ahead. Yeah, and so like that to me is the big difference, is that so many guys can absolutely play basketball and are amazing. Faku Campazzo is an amazing basketball player. He is a terrible NBA player. And those two things are just not the same. That's my general consensus on. So I think among kind of global sports and, you know, whatever we want to call them, I think, you know, global team sports, how many can we say there are soccer, basketball, you know, pick one or two of them. Certainly not, certainly not uh, uh, American football, um, not, pro- not baseball, um, maybe hockey. But I think that, because the NBA is among, like, especially compared to soccer, the best players are just, like, entirely concentrated in one place. And it's so recognized that that is the highest level of play that you get this concentration of, of, of players who would be in another setting just game-breakingly good. So that a lot of the rules and maxims and sort of that platonic ideal of basketball you're talking about it's not really designed with, with Giannis Antetokounmpo in mind. Certainly not designed with Steph Curry in mind or Nikola Jokic or any of these, or Kevin Durant or any of these like top-end superstar players. So I think everything you're saying about the, the specific nature of the NBA is a reaction to it basically being like it's, it's you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the MCU before, they, they, before super-powered individuals like, were recognized to exist and after is almost like how different is your life in, 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 in version a versus version B. 
Yeah, I think one of the interesting questions, though, is, and, and you know, it, it, again, this is just opinion stuff, but who's a better basketball player? Melly for Italy or P.J. Tucker? I mean, I, so when you're saying specifically, you're not saying, you're not saying like Melly, you're saying Melly for Italy. And I think right. that's a, for Italy at Eurobasket. And that's a, that's, that's almost an unanswerable question because it's like the, especially like when we're talking about players in that, like you are, you are the elites, like top half of a percent, top 50th of a percent style player, which is at that level. You're still, you're, since you're not the top thousandth of a percent right. or whatever, you're still, how good you are is still so heavily contextual. But just, and yeah, no, I think in, in a, in a EuroLeague system, like, you know, uh, PJ Tucker is, exists better in a, at least the present version of PJ Tucker's game. Cause PJ Tucker was a very good European player as well, playing a yes. different role than he does now. Right. So that um, now at this point in his in his you know age, he probably can't do that anymore. But the, like the NBA version of PJ Tucker can only exist and be functional in a situation where he can play with and and is able to guard those superheroes. Right. Well, I also think I also think that like PJ can be both. Right. He can be yeah. like a very good NBA player and a very good European player. But in the NBA, he's also, like, crucial, and yeah. Melly was, was in and out. Yeah. And so it's just, like, if you look at what they're capable... This is this where this gets into the, the, the Hooper combo? It's just, like, <laughs> it, it's about what you're, you're capable of doing rather than what you should do, right? And the NBA very much is about, can you do what you should very well? And so much of that is not just about your efficiency, skill, talent, and work ethic. It's about mentality and approach. And like that understanding, I think, is um, pivotal for it. And it's one of the reasons why I do think there is this differential between players that can be extremely good in international basketball and not good in the NBA. And I do think there are players that thrive in the NBA who would not be on a relative scale as impactful towards winning in Eurobasket. I just think that they're different sports. Adam and I talked about this earlier this week, and, you know, yeah, I mean, his his example was someone like like Damian Lillard, who, I mean, I think was probably physically compromised at the Olympics. But um, even aside from that, like, as a small guard who depends on getting, like, like space on the perimeter to get shots up in a more physical, hand-checky system, well... He become or environment he becomes worse. Like that's I don't think that's you know, um, and may be interesting to see like Steph as the focal like uh, like four years ago Steph as the focal point of a, of a team USA in that regard. Um, my guess is that the difference in elusiveness would probably would would reflect well on Steph, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but I want to get back to Charlie's original question in terms of I you know I can speak to this a little bit in terms of. Of how of, of the grain of salt that NBA it's a huge huge grain of salt, um, like you know we 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 all watched I can you know I can say that we all watched EuroBasket kind of together um, the the year that uh, Slovenia won and and you know Dragic was the was the MVP but Luca was the best player 
And I was like, I was after that, he's the top pick, what are we talking about? And, you know, it's like, yeah, but that's against these guys and the level of athleticism, blah, blah, blah. He's, I guess he's in my top ten. And over the course of the year, as he had a great year and was, you know, MVP of Euroleague, he rose up. But it was just like, there's still just those questions about kind of the speed and athleticism, um, which I think are not not unfair questions. But you do have to pay attention to things like, all right, he's he's quote unquote not not athletic enough, but he's not just like bully balling his way. He's also just like coming up with every loose ball and just making all the basketball plays too. I think he'll be fine. Um, and it's not you know I, I I think so. I think there is some justified skepticism, but there's also there might be a little bit too much hesitance to realize when that skepticism is no longer warranted. And I think, for example, I think with Markkanen. I think it's probably still, you know, still because it's it's very different as you were you were alluding to Matt to be like the guy on a team where yeah there's other very good basketball players but no one near your level and you know it, it, to what extent is that true for like Markkinen or Franz Wagner or something like that yeah and I think I'll say this I think you can go the other way because. You know, to use the example of Composo, like I've seen it in Denver, where it's like, you know, there was just, there was a real belief in what he had accomplished and the type of player he is and um, everything he brought to the table. And the coach loved him and the front office loved him and Jokic loved him and it should have worked. And then you get into this environment and you're just like, oh, you can't. Oh, wait, you're still 5'10. You're still, no, not just 5'10, because Jub Jub had a great career. Juan Carlos, Jose Juan Barea had a great career, but if you're, you're still 5'10 and you can't shoot, you can do one or the other. You can't do both. You can be six, a six, two guard and not be able to shoot and still be like, okay, functional. They're the bench units are going to be rough, but whatever. Um, or you can be 5'10 and be able to shoot and then still be able to stuff. But when once teams got the, got the book that, Hey, just go under go under every screen, give him as much space as possible, crash on the big. Don't let him get to the rim. At, at once that happened, it, it, he I literally was watching Composo run pick and rolls to nothingness. It was just like, you know, every pick and roll in the NBA is trying to drive action and force a, re, force a defensive reaction, and it was just, there was nothing. Um, now, you know, and, there, and there's a lot of these players that are like this where, it just doesn't work for whatever reason. Some of those are translation. Some of that's also, I think, we we do have to acknowledge the, the comfort level here of just how many of them are just like they don't they don't like America, and I don't blame them for that. Like if if I went to work in another country, I would be ill at ease, and so I think that factors in to you know because confidence is such a big part of it too. Confidence and comfort. How do you have that in some of these operations where? You're fighting for minutes and trying to prove yourself, especially when you, you've already accomplished all these things. Like you're already an accomplished basketball player, but here everyone's, as you mentioned, everyone's like, "Yeah, but." And I, some guys buckle down and are like, "I'll show you," and then you know some guys don't, and that I think factors into the conversation as well. It's probably it's probably a different uh, both on the, the team kind of evaluation side and probably on the personal side, you know, coming in being a 25 year old, who's been like a, like a star overseas and then having to fit into being a role player to being, 
you know, you're a one and done freshman and you got some things to learn. Uh, well, you got, you got that guaranteed four year contract and, you know, not really expecting much out of the first year and we'll grow and things will be fine. Um, and that's a well-worn path. I'm not sure there is really like the closest we might have to that is Joe Ingles of someone who kind of felt their way and then became a really good NBA player. I mean, can you think of another example? Not at the top of my head. And that seemed like that seemed like as much happenstance as anything else. And then, oh, wait, I can shoot 40% also because he wasn't really, I mean, he wasn't that he couldn't shoot. It's just he didn't shoot until, right. until like, Utah was like, no, shoot, shoot, please. You're good at it. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. Um, what do you want? Do you want to, uh, you want to talk about before, before we get out of here? Do you want to talk about the tournament? The Let's do tournament? it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was frankly, and again, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm relying on facts, not on evidence from what we've talked about. I was frankly surprised by how positive about it you were because you tend to be, uh, anti gimmick and it, and there's a number of people who thinks it, think it's gimmicky, but you seem like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you're all about it. I am all about it. Um, you're actually wrong in your assessment that I'm anti, anti gimmick. I am extremely <laughs> pro gimmick. Uh, right. let's, let's gimmick the, let's gimmick it up. Um, one of my favorite movies is basketball. So that's a good recognition of how gimmicky I like things. Um, the big divide between you and I, I think is in the terms of the context of the regular season is how much you feel like they try. And I can't get past how different it is when, after you've done this for long enough, you can identify when they are bringing it and when they're not. And some nights they just don't have it. But some of that is also because you don't have to have it every night. If you have to have it and then you don't bring it, that's usually indicative of a bigger problem. If you have a playoff game where it's like you just didn't try, that's like extremely concerning. And so anything to me that improves the stakes of the games that we watch is good, even if it's not a meaningful improvement, even if it's a small thing. And, like, I don't think the cup games are going to matter. I just don't. I don't think they're even going to know that they're a cup game. I honestly don't. I think most times we're going to see a lot when that gets implemented of a reporter asking, you know, when you look at this as a cup game, what were your priorities, blah, blah, blah. what now? Yeah. You're gonna be like a, there's gonna literally be like a, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean cup? What, what's a cup game? Like, they won't pay attention. Is it hockey playoffs? What are yeah. we talking about here? Yeah. And like, um, there, there will be other guys that will be like, yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, if we're able to make the tournament, great. We want the, the chance to compete. They'll have those, like, they'll be on top of it because they're wired that way. Um, are I, you I, saying I, they're wired that way as competitors or as media facing entities? They're Parts just of like, both they see the league, like, they're aware of things. Like, that's a big difference. It's just, like, there are players that are aware of things and players that don't have to be and aren't, and that's okay. Um, The the tournament itself, uh, I went back and forth (laughs) in our Slack. We've we've argued a lot about it, especially me and Chris, uh, about the dynamics of of this and the effort and how much they'll care. And I kind of came around to something that, like, you've said before about other things in this context... I just think that when it gets into a one on a one and done, you win this and you are out. It's a single elimination. 
you lose this and you're going home and those guys sent you home. I just feel like the competitive juices are going to get going. It won't be playoff, but there will be enough of a, I'm not losing to that guy. I'm not getting sent home by that. I think we see enough times in the regular season where something happens where one or both teams are like, fuck that guy. And then it's on. And it's just like, whoa, what happened here? Why were like, and, and then you add to that where you can like wave goodbye to someone in December. Yeah. Like, let's go. No, yeah. I'm, I like, you know, we can, um, I, I don't think my take on, on the effort thing is as that different than yours. I think there's some nights where you literally like for schedule travel reasons, it just, you just got nothing. Like you get, there's, the, the league has done a decent job reducing that, but it's still going to happen five to eight times a year for every team. Um, and for the rest of the time, I think uh, someone uh, in, uh, in 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 the comments was talking about what we were we were discussing earlier about kind of the peak. Uh, uh, Brad said this: track athletes and their coaches spend all their time and energy trying to reach peak once or twice a year. What we ask them in base stars is crazy to me. I think that the that especially as players get a little more veteran, they kind of recognize that that being at that like level of frenzy for that long is is just not okay. But they're still like. They may not be at 105, but they're at 95 most nights. Like, yeah, like, and, and that's and that's. I don't think we can expect, given the 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 now, maybe you're not putting this the onus on the players for this, but on the schedule makers. But given the nature of the NBA schedule, I don't think we can expect more than that. Me neither. Yeah, me neither. Like this is why I went from being like, I love 82 games, give me all the basketball, I love the random nights, to where I'm now like, mm, no, let's do 65. And we still have a healthy amount of basketball, but they matter more. That's like where I've evolved to over the last ten years. Um, it's not even the mattering. I think it's just. The, I think it's the the physical and strategic yeah. preparation. That'll yeah, make, well, I think both of them matter, right? Like yeah. when they when they sense that that when they sense the urgency, even if they're tired, they will dig down and find it. I would rather they not be tired, right? Like I'd rather they <laughs> be like the NFL, where it's like we have three days between games. It's better for my content. Um, but that's never going to happen. What I will say is, so 2020, um, before the shutdown, okay, the Clippers on national TV, Denver comes in for a national TV game, and the Clippers just bum rush them. Like, just pounced on top of them and jumped on their head for two and a half hours. It was a blistering and it was treated as uh, like Denver's not serious. Denver's not legit. This shows the difference. Denver's a fraud. They're never going to really seriously compete. And then one start of a global pandemic and shut down and bubble later, the Denver Nuggets eliminate the Clippers in the playoffs. What I asked Paul Millsap when he got back from that trip is I asked him, I was, you know, I got, I got him on the side, and I was like, "Were you surprised at that game?" And he's like, "What do you mean?" And because he, I think he saw where I was going. I was like, "They came out the way that most NBA teams do not in the regular season," and he was like, "Look, it's on us to meet the expectation, like to meet that intensity. If they're going to play like that, we have to respond." And I just kind of sat there for a minute. He was like, "But." Yeah, one of the things about the schedule is you never know when you're walking into a game where those guys are going to put it at that level and you're putting it at the same level you have been every night. 
And like, that's just, that's so, that's such a fascinating dynamic to me where narratives are spun out of a game where effectively one team was like, just another night. We might see these guys in the playoffs, but you know what? It's a regular season because nobody wants to see. Not only do the players, can they not try? There is definitely a push to like, that's why they always say games aren't rivalry games and it doesn't, this game doesn't matter extra. Like they don't want to be caught having invested more because of what it means if you lose. Um, and then for the other team to basically be like, no, you know what? Let's, let, let's actually like go tonight. Let's go 80% tonight and absolutely just rush them. And the fact that that stuff happens to me is really fascinating and a good indicator of, of like that to me is the, the strongest indicator of if you're in a position where one team literally is like, we can't match where this team is physically that's a problem to me. I think that's fair enough. Um, but I think, I think back to the tournament, if it, like, um, it's basically, I think what we've seen is that any, if, if, if you make it like we see it in, you know, we see it in, in TBT, we see it at the end of all-star games, you see it, you know, in certainly in the play-in games, if, if, you have professional level players playing single elimination and they care. It is riveting. Yeah. And so like, it doesn't matter how you do it. Cause at a certain point it's self-sustaining. Like I think we, we, you know, for like, uh, you know, the, the comparison to like the FA cup or something is like, okay, well it's not going to be that. Yeah. Certainly not right away, but it's like, you know, the FA Cup games aren't just like, oh, we could win the FA Cup. It's like every round you progress is a big deal because it's a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, will we be there right away? No. No. Can we move towards that? Is there a way, as you say, that, that, that like, knocking a team out, like, and they get, you know, and then the local media, like, shits on them for, <laughs> you got knocked out by the, you got yeah. knocked out by the Bulls, or, or, let me get, who would it be this year? You got knocked out by the Jazz. Right. Clowns. Uh, like, you know, that's something that might get remembered. Maybe not the yeah. Jazz, because they're not going to be in the playoffs this year, but, like, but, uh, but, yeah. But this is the whole thing, is, the question has been, why do they care if they win? And my response is, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking, the question you should be asking is whether or not they'll care if they lose. Because anytime that there's a game they don't want to lose, the whole thing changes. Because these are the best athletes and competitors of basketball in the world. And they're all, <laughs> they work so hard. And they do pay attention to the media. And this is a very media-driven sport. And so, like you mentioned... Um, you're talking about the jazz, like the better, the better comparison here is let's say it was this season and like, what's a, what's a team in that range is expected. Oh, the Sixers and the Sixers got knocked out by the wizards. Right. Like (laughs) there would just be like, there would be so like Philly, like the Philly podcast would be like, whatever the tournament's stupid, but also what the hell, like how did you lose the wizards? And like, there will be that team eventually in this. That literally is like, yeah, we know we're not making the playoffs. Yeah, we know. We know we're not making the playoffs. That's fine. But we're going to beat you here. <laughs> like, we're going to win this thing. Fuck it. We're winning this thing. And we're going to be excited about it. And that's going to rankle people. And it's going to rankle other teams. And be like, 
why are you so excited? Fine. All right, you know what? Fine. All right, let's go. And that's where you get the good sport. That, to me, is where you get the good sport out of the tournament, as well as anytime I have an, have an opportunity to play, to have a betting environment on a one-on-one tournament, it's great for the content. Uh, incidentally, this is also the best argument for allowing a team to... Like, Number one seed should get to pick their their opponent from the rest of the playoff seeds. This and this is why, like more petty yep. is better. Yep. <laughs> um, I had one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. Now I, I've I've completely forgotten about it. Um, it's a bad job, me. Well, you can get me back on anytime. Yeah, I always love coming on with you. <laughs> yeah. No. Thank. I. I'm, I'm going to rack my brain. I'm. I'm going to fill a filibuster here. Say something for two minutes. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I just, I honestly don't know what it was, and now, now I'm angry at myself because it was a great point, and now it's just lost forever, like tribute or something. Um, anyway, uh, Matt, do you have anything uh, going on right now? You wanna, you wanna, you wanna pitch to people that you're going on? Are you doing? Remind me, are you doing any AFL stuff or just like, like, uh, like living and dying with the with the Chiefs? Uh, I'm betting a lot of NFL stuff, but I am living and dying with the Chiefs. I gotta go get ready for this game tonight. Uh, you can follow my work at the Action Network and the Action Network app. Uh, we have division win total previews, division by division. Um, up, we've gone through four of them. The final two are next week. Uh, I'm writing the case for the over and the under for every single team. Deep dives. Uh, I, you, <laughs> if you're not into betting, you'll find a lot of interesting stuff. Like, I never expected to come out of my Rockets preview and be like, you know... <sighs> Shangu's better at defense than I thought he was. Like these are the type of things that come out. So really detailed, granular stuff. Um, a lot of the articles out on the Action Network app as well. You can download it wherever you get your applications. There we have it. Uh, basketball hipster Matt Moore <laughs> is now part of the Shangun Hive. So yep. I'm, I'm I'm glad you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Matt, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, folks, for listening. And I will be back. I think next week with some. Uh, pre-recorded shows because I have some travel coming up next week. So thanks a lot for listening and talk to y'all later.